When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the Joshua Shaw audio experience. Firstly, thank you for giving me a bit of your attention. I'm honored you trusted me with it, and I promise to return the favor by giving you a ton of edutainment value back. In my newest podcast episode, I'll provide an important update on the long, drawn-out muscle farm bankruptcy process. But before we get started, I would love if you took 48 seconds out of your day to leave a rating review whichever podcasting platform you're currently listening to. This helps me out immensely in terms of extending the reach of my podcast, but more importantly, allows me to make improvements based on your feedback. Thank you again. Now enjoy my newest podcast episode. It has been over six months since my last Muscle Farm bankruptcy update, but don't misinterpret that silence as somehow indicating the court proceedings must have been good vibes only. Regardless, it looks like this dark Muscle Farm period is about to be officially over, and my avid followers likely recognize the acquirer. So I'll provide all of the details throughout this content to make sense of that introductory statement. But I first want to kind of run through a quick recap of what has happened thus far in the muscle farm bankruptcy era. All of the incremental strategic errors that compounded over the entire existence of muscle farm and led to its mid-December filing for protection under chapter 11 of the bankruptcy code is far too dense to even attempt summarizing. But the one critical pre-bankruptcy decision that I will mention, and only because it's the proverbial straw that broke the camel's back, was when Muscle Farm entered into a collateralized loan with a portion of the hedge fund Empry Asset Management. Since Muscle Farm would end up not being able to meet the terms of that debt, Empry became the owner of everything valuable at Muscle Farm whether that was intellectual property or hard goods like inventory. As you can imagine, Empry had no desire to operate a sports nutrition brand and quickly put the intellectual property up for auction. On the date of that auction, it would end abruptly because then CEO and chairman of Muscle Farm, Ryan Drexler, ended up putting the company into bankruptcy protection. Wanting to obviously maximize its ROI on this new asset ownership situation, Empry had a vested interest in not letting Muscle Farm fall into Chapter 7, aka total liquidation bankruptcy, before the Chapter 11 reorganization process and auction could be completed. So Empry provided Muscle Farm with a total of $7.2 million in debtor in possession or DIP financing to keep the sports nutrition brand operational for the last like 10 or so months plus over a million in factoring financing to keep inventory in stock. As mentioned in earlier pieces of Muscle Farm content, the previous largest shareholder, CEO, and chairman of Muscle Farm, Ryan Drexler, resigned, and supplement industry veteran Eric Hillman was tasked to stabilize the struggling company by helping sales revenue rebound in a post-Costco era, persuade talent to pitch in in his reorganization plan, and rebuild trust with supply-side partners like contract manufacturers and ingredient suppliers. 
I'll detail how Eric Hillman performed over this last like 10 or so months as Muscle Farm CEO next, but let's first run through why this Chapter 11 bankruptcy process has taken so damn long. If you followed my Bang Energy bankruptcy content, you know that process took around 260 days, but it was complex, involving creditor claims in the billion dollar range and had that infamous hostile takeover element to it as well. Surprisingly enough, the Muscle Farm bankruptcy has taken even longer, though with far less in creditor claims. Why? Well, that likely could be pointed in the direction of Ryan Drexler, even though almost all secured and unsecured creditors agreed on the proposed path forward for liquidating the remaining assets and value of Muscle Farm, Ryan Drexler took various legal actions against Empry and even a few of its employees for good measure too. And this is understandably so, as Ryan Drexler put many millions of his own capital into Muscle Farm over the years. But back to that Empry collateralized loan that got Muscle Farm into this mess, there was a clause within the signed intercreditor insubordination agreement that, yep, actually disallowed Ryan Drexler the ability to file legal challenges. Around the same time of these court battles, the SEC filed a settled complaint charging a collection of Muscle Farm executives for engaging in improper revenue recognition practices to achieve revenue growth demanded by its former CEO, Ryan Drexler. The defendant's misconduct allegedly inflated Muscle Farm's publicly reported quarterly revenues by as much as 25% and gross profits by as much as 49%. The SEC also separately charged Drexler with fraud in a litigated complaint that alleges while CEO, he misled investors about the catastrophic impact of the company's default with institutional note holders and that he falsely certified that he evaluated the company's internal controls. But even with Ryan Drexler facing multiple court battles all at once, he kept battling to delay the Muscle Farm bankruptcy auction that was scheduled for this current month of September after the investment bank Hilco was retained to seek a buyer. Well, let's just say the enforcement of that Empry agreement ended up happening and the court approved the asset purchase and sale agreement for Muscle Farm this past week. Before I disclose who acquired the sports nutrition brand, let's circle back to how Eric Hillman performed over these last 10 months as Muscle Farm CEO. One of the interesting things about the bankruptcy process is that even though Muscle Farm no longer needs to file audited earnings reports to the SEC, they must submit monthly unaudited financial statements to the bankruptcy court. Maybe more interestingly, in that previous content, I laid out my 2023 revenue expectation for Muscle Farm. You also have to consider that in 2021, the company had revenues of around $50 million. Now, that was when Costco basically amounted to over $2 million in monthly revenue. So if you strip that out, you also account for additional loss of revenue from deterioration of brand and mismanagement of inventory controls you'd get about a $15 million business in 2023. That's realistically where Muscle Farm is right now. Admittedly, this isn't a fair way to judge the Hillman Muscle Farm CEO era because just keeping the lights on is literally a win, but it's still important data. So how did he do and how close was my prediction after only seeing January's putrid monthly revenue? In the first seven months of 2023, Muscle Farm had net sales of $7.9 million. That's 
below my prediction on an analyzed average monthly revenue rate, but the last few months have been stronger. And that leads me to believe it would have slightly exceeded that $15 million threshold if forced to continue operating independently. More importantly, Muscle Farm has kept its gross margins above 30% in 2023. My supplement industry professionals are probably scoffing at how poor that looks, but you have to remember that Muscle Farm is basically a whey protein focused brand with no economies of scale, no negotiation power on the supply side, and no pricing power to consumers at this point. I also tossed in the legal fees into this kind of quick napkin math income statement that I built. I did this because if you strip out those insanely high expenses, you get an operationally profitable muscle farm. Let that sink in for a second because my longtime muscle farm followers know that this has been a struggle since the sports nutrition brand's inception. So considering the shit situation and short leash provided to Eric Hillman, he did a great job. But Eric Hillman is also not a magician, and the muscle farm that was handed to him needed a lot. Muscle farm has deteriorated significantly since the early 2010 golden years when I was a part of the sports nutrition brand's hypergrowth phase. The fact is, the muscle farm of today is unrecognizable to the one that I left over a decade ago. On the business front, love them or hate them, after Brad Pyatt resigned, all of the vision for Muscle Farm left with him. The last seven-ish years or so at Muscle Farm has been filled with chasing off-brand trends, totally wrecking any semblance of brand standards, and basically losing all emotional connection with its consumers. Where does that usually lead you? Serving the wrong master, aka chasing selling retail dollars. Without supporting the brand customer long-term, eventually velocities start to slow, and you can even lose those placements altogether. So the chance of getting back to the heyday of Muscle Farm, both from an influence impact and revenue perspective, is really a statistical anomaly. But even clawing back to the level of the last few years will be extremely tough. Here's the good news, though. My hope for a strategic buyer that will be a shepherd to the Muscle Farm brand in the latter part of its life cycle looks like it will become a reality. A few days ago, the bankruptcy court approved the stocking horse bid with FitLife Brands Inc. for a purchase price of just over $18 million. Now, there's still some details that need to be worked out before you see this news spread across the kind of press release news wires, but let's just assume it did happen. For some of you that follow me across the different digital platforms, the supplement brand portfolio named FitLife Brands might ring a bell, and that's because I've talked about them many times prior. For those scratching their heads, FitLife Brands is a developer and marketer of over 150 different products under the brand names NDS Nutrition, PMD Sports, Isatory, Siren Labs, and a handful of others. Up until recently, FitLife Brands generated most of its revenue from the retailer GNC. The reason GNC no longer accounts for two-thirds or more of the total revenue is FitLife Brands finally did something earlier this year that I've been pleading for them to do since 2019, and that's to acquire a digital-first brand to diversify its channel revenue mix. FitLife Brands did one better by acquiring a collection of three Amazon-focused digital brands in the nutritional supplements and skincare categories 
under the corporate name Mimi's Rock. You might be wondering how I know all of this, and I forgot to mention that FitLife Brands is a publicly traded company with the stock ticker FTLF. Since we're on the subject, FitLife Brands also just got uplisted to NASDAQ last week, which should enhance the visibility of the company in the capital markets and improve the trading volume of its stock. What else would increase your company's visibility while also making a splash in the big leagues of capital markets? Acquire something flashy like a sports nutrition brand that used to have some of the brightest brand aesthetics in the industry. Regardless of how steep its downfall was, Muscle Farm still has some juice left in its intellectual property. And I think this is especially true when it's in the hands of capable operators. Which brings me to the final part of this content. What's next for FitLife Brands? I'd like to bring up a previous clip from about two and a half years ago where I stated, FitLife Brands leadership continues to show that they can run a sound operational business, but I continue to fear that they need stronger visionary voices that can drive this business to being a hundred million dollars plus in top line revenue over the next three to five years. Two things I want to expand on. Firstly, there's a lot of change happening at FitLife Brands. You have two relatively major acquisitions that are happening within about seven months. These moves will challenge the belief that FitLife Brands are sound operators because for one, it takes the legacy business that did around $29 million in 2022 and supercharges it to about $75 million annually when you add about $30 million from Mimi's Rock and $15 million from Muscle Farm. Moreover, Mimi's Rock, as mentioned previously, mostly deploys an Amazon sales channel strategy. While this channel diversification at FitLife Brands was needed, you must also understand the constantly evolving knowledge required to win on that marketplace is much different than being great at driving sales inside of a specialty supplement retail. Then at Muscle Farm, it must contend with a product sales mix that's heavy on protein, which will more than likely result in an impact to the gross margins of FitLife brands. But more than anything, Muscle Farm will require a whole bunch of energy put towards turnaround efforts. The varied needs from these two acquisitions and then any additional ones in the future will challenge the FitLife Brands team to be strategically multidimensional. This will result in one of those make it or break it moments that prove my other previous stronger visionary voices needed point right or wrong. But only time will tell. And maybe Dayton Judd, FitLife Brands chairman and CEO, will take me up on my offer for some content together soon. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast episode. If you have any comments or questions about anything I discussed during it, open the podcast episode notes and click on any of my social media account links to reach out to me directly. 